We、um, are going to be starting a new sermon series this morning. Woohoo! New sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. If you in your Red Pew Bibles, it is right after the book of Proverbs on page 658. We'll be looking at all of chapter one this morning. All of chapter one this morning. So this sermon series will be focused on the big questions in our lives. Really, broadly speaking, this book is about the search for meaning. I think this search is something that resides in us all, and no matter how much that we may try to ignore the the the, the hunger and the yearning for meaning in our lives, and we try to you know to try to push that away as if it doesn't really matter, it'll surface once again. Um, you know, out there in, in, in pop culture, I don't know why I'm quoting Freddie Mercury, but I am.、Um, he, he he passed away '91, but he has a really interesting song. One of the last songs he wrote before his death in '91 from Queen, right? He wrote a song, "Was It Worth It All?" Just one little bit from this song. He says, and this, again, he was a couple of years he passed at, at this point. He said, "Was it worth it all? Giving all of my heart and soul and staying up all night? Was it worth it all?" Living, breathing, rock and roll—this godforsaken life—was it worth it all? Was it worth it all? All of these years, you read that, and you're like, "That's—it's kind of sad to read, right?" Somebody who's really looking at their life's work, probably aware that they're soon going to perish, and he's thinking, "Was all of this really worth it? Was there meaning for all of this?" You too, right? And you too, you too, fans of famous song. I have climbed the highest mountain. I have run through the fields only to be with you. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled the city walls only to be with you. But you might want to finish it. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Oh, come on, you two fans! Everybody knows that song. You've been in the elevator and heard it a thousand times. On and on, we could find these kinds of lyrics, right, of music and, and songs.、Uh, Viktor Frankl, the famous、uh, psychologist who, who actually survived the concentration camp, wrote a book called *The Search for Meaning*. If you haven't read it, read that book. It's unbelievable. He made the claim. He said, "Man's search for meaning、um, is the chief motivation of life." Man's search for meaning is the chief motivation of life. If you read his book, you understand how that was his conclusion. So, as in this new year, right? It's a good time for us, I believe, to walk through the book of the Bible that deals directly with this, right? Because maybe you're looking at 2023, and maybe you have some dread a little bit, right? Some existential dread. I want to speak into that. Let the Scripture speak into it for the next 12 weeks. So here we go. It'll be a journey beneath the teacher. Okay, this, the teacher wrote Ecclesiastes. That's what he identifies himself as. In verse one, chapter one, it says. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. This speaker is a teacher, so I want you to consider, right? This this image here that we're kind of entering into his classroom. This is a wisdom book, okay? So this is a teacher of wisdom saying, "Come, I'm the teacher here. Come, sit in my feet, and let's talk. I want to pass down wisdom to you." Right. This is one of the kings of Israel, one of the children of David. It may or may be written by Solomon. For the Bible nerds, we can have that conversation in the hallway one day. But、um, it's at least somebody who, who walked down a very similar path that Solomon did in his life. But as we read this book, we need to understand this as 
you know, almost like a story, all right? We're, we're kind of, he's taking our hand, and he's kind of walking us along in this almost like story here. So if you read the book of Proverbs, if you've read the book of Proverbs, this one should be compared so you understand what we're getting into here. Proverbs, if you read them, it seems to, to communicate that there's, you know, the availability of order in life. Here's some wisdom from godly living that will produce, generally speaking, these kinds of results. And so live in the wisdom of a Proverbs and you'll have somewhat of like this orderly life. Okay, and, and wisdom seems to communicate, you know, out of the book of Proverbs, there's, there's order, there's something beneath God and his wisdom navigating this broken world that can produce, you know, good and healthy and wise and orderly results. Um, this book seems to say the opposite. Really shockingly, in verse two, let's read this. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. That's exciting. It's an encouraging word from scripture this morning. It's a Hebrew word, habel, okay? Extraordinarily difficult to get into English. If you have different translations in front of you, you may see various ways that people have tried to put this into our English language because it's a really interesting, fascinating word. Often throughout this book, it's associated with the phrase striving after the wind. And I think wind is a really helpful um, translation because really the word, if literally put on paper, would have been vapor, okay? You ever sprayed a Windex bottle? Vapor, all right? Now try to grab that vapor after you sprayed the Windex bottle. It might get a little wet, but you can't. You can't grab it and like put it back in the bottle, right? It's just, it's gone. It's there and it's gone. And I think wind is a helpful way to think about this, right? Um, this, around nine times that phrase striving after the wind is in this book. And has anybody ever tried to get wind and put it into a container? You can try. We obviously know the effort is futile. You can stand in the wind, you can feel the wind, you can see the wind blow through the trees and shaking leaves and branches. You can see wind be so powerful to even destroy homes and drop massive portions of trees and knock over trees and yet we can't catch it. It's elusive, it's there, but we can't grasp it. Similar to squeezing sand on the beach in your hand, eventually it's all gonna come through, slide through your fingers. That's what that word is kind of envisioning here. The teacher is pointing us towards a view of life that says, this life is elusive, it's hard to grasp, it's without, it looks like it's without meaning, and if you try to grasp it, it'll just be out of your reach. And nothing seems to make sense. That's what that word is trying to bring us to, right? It seems to be almost the opposite message of Proverbs, but as we'll see, it's gonna be the same, but he's, we'll, we'll, we'll see what his project is in this book as we move along. Um, when we read this to other, next to other books of the Bible, it's pretty obvious that this is a unique teaching. <laughs> you don't see this often in scripture, right? Uh, many throughout church history have actually wondered, why is this book here again? Like, seriously? Like, why is this in our biblical canon? But it's there for a reason, and they kept it for a reason, right? Um, as, as we sit at this ancient teacher's feet, what we're going to be doing is, is looking at his own um, internal existential struggles that he faced. He had deep struggles of meaning and he went through that dark night of the soul and he recorded it for us. 
And he also shows us his outcomes and his, you know, uh, the, the things that he landed on, the answers that he landed on at the end. But he's guiding us to experience the struggles that he experienced. He, he's inviting us to his dark night of the soul. He's inviting us to his own existential struggles and trying to give us the glasses in which we can see and feel what it felt like for him to view his life as utterly meaningless and how he got there. So that's what this book ultimately is doing. In verse 3, we see that. He, he asks a question, okay? Verse 3, what does man gain from all of his labor at which he toils under the sun? It's a question. He doesn't directly give an answer, right? It's like kind of a rhetorical question in a way. He, he's asking you, reader, us, this. What gain is there to be found from this life lived on this earth as we work in labor under the sun? And that's the key phrase, another repeated phrase, under the sun. This verse reminds me when we had a huge mold problem, my crawl space, my house in Jersey, that, uh, you know, we had to create a whole trench system to get water away from my house. So I called my father-in-law and I said, can I borrow a backhoe to dig trenches? And he said, no, let's get shovels, let's have some fun. Because that's fun for him. Like this man loves digging. He really does. I don't. I don't know. Am I alone in that? Like, so he helped me. You know, I did a lot of this digging on my own, just hundreds of feet of trenches. It's just all around my house and you know, into the woods there. And I remember what is like the dog days of summer, right? And I was digging and I had this like existential moment where I just saw my little property in my house and just covered in sweat and dirt and just exhausted and just thinking like, why? Like, what's the point of all this? Like, why, why am I here? Why am I digging a ditch? Like, what it, really? I know it's to get mold, you know, water away from my house to prevent mold, but I wasn't asking. I was, had that moment where I was just like, is this really worth it? Like, what is this? Why, why are we doing this again? Why, why keep this house? Why take care of this house? Like, what's the point of all of this? You ever had moments like that? It's kind of a more of a minor, almost silly one because it passed pretty quickly, but maybe you've had moments that didn't pass quickly where you're like, why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? And how do I find that purpose? What is to be gained for me living here beneath the sun? The word here, gain, used by the teacher is an effort to, of his to try to look at that deep, the deepest questions of our human experience, right? And so right now, our society, it provides an extraordinarily empty vision for life. Because similar to the life being described by the teacher here, he's trying to define life under the sun. In other words, he's trying to give us a view of life that would say, yeah, life is here, we live under the sun, and then we die, and there's nothing else. That's it. Right? We're just a bunch of people living beneath the hot sun day in and day out. In today's language, and people literally speak like this, we're, we're just kind of this biological accident from an ancient cosmic explosion, the product of forces of the natural evolutionary processes of nature. So what you see is all you get because that's all there is, right? That's the vision that our culture, our society, a lot of people try to give for life. And the teacher is telling us about that kind of life here. Let's take that belief system right there and bring it to its end, meaningless, it's all meaningless. If this life is merely lived under the sun, it's meaningless. He continues on. Generations come and go, 
and genera- yeah, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. Yes, generations come and go, but the earth continues on. Earth keeps going, but through all these things he mentions um, in these cycles, it, it seems like, you know, that movie Groundhog Day. It's like an ancient script of that movie Groundhog Day when it's like everything's stuck on repeat, right? It's just the same thing. The sea, the, the sea keeps absorbing those rivers and the sun goes up and the sun goes down. It's just the, the wind blows and round and round and round. And just the same thing. Time rolls on and on and on and on. And in verse 8, he says, this is all wearisome. It's exhausting to think about and try to find the purpose of. And there are so many more examples of this, he says, that no human on earth could really just get all those examples and put them together. There's so many that he struggles to even put into words. All these, you know, apparently circular natural phenomenon that appears to be simply repetitive and aimless. And then he casts an eye towards, you know, his own life our own life, our human existence in this world, as our stories intertwine with these patterns in this earth. He says this, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there's something new? Maybe if he saw the iPhone, he might think, that's new, but maybe not. It's here already long ago. It was here before our time. There's no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. In history, all beneath the sun is just the same thing over and over. You know the phrase, history repeats itself. Really, iPhone is nothing new. It's just the the new form of horseback messengers, right? or letters that were delivered, and et cetera, right? We just, we just take, you know, older forms of technology and improve upon them. There's nothing really new about anything. In verse 11, here, there's no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered. I don't know if you ever walk around in graveyards sometimes when you see them and read stones, right? Epitaphs, and just kind of, I enjoy doing that sometimes, right? People, you see people born in the 18, uh, 1900s, 1800s, uh, uh, various names everywhere. You know, you see that maybe some had some prosperous lives by the little quote or the size of their tombstone. Others faded and gone where you can't even read them, right? Just like in the place of my birth, a few hundred yards from my house, there was a graveyard. We lived on a former uh, southern plantation land and there was the family graveyard and there was the dozen or so slaves that they had. They were nameless whose stories are lost in history. But truthfully, most graveyards are full of people whose stories we don't know. And we won't know them because they're gone. They're lost. They're not remembered. Past family and friends, just one generation or two down, their stories are gone. What they did, what they achieved in life, their feelings, their, their hardships, any wisdom they had, just gone. Just like it probably will be for us under the sun. So, so far, the list of things that cannot provide meaning for this teacher are twofold. Endless repetition in this world and the lack of remembrance in our own story when we're gone. And now he has a third here, which is the accumulation of wisdom. 
Verse 12, I, the teacher, was king over Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. If you're a Bible nerd, that's why it may not be Solomon. That was just his dad, right? So anyway, I have experienced much of a wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. So within this existential struggle, he applies himself to search for wisdom in his life, thinking that he will meet his search for meaning and satisfy it. As king, he devoted himself to his studies, gaining wisdom, and he said, I'm the most wise king that's ever ruled in this city, right? I'm the son of David, and I'm wiser than all the ones before me. But he realized the wiser he got, it wasn't joy or satisfaction that came, it was sorrow. It was grief. His pursuit was one filled with grief. And the idea of life lived under the sun and only under the sun where repetition, the lack of remembrance, and even the accumulation of wisdom cannot provide meaning in our own life. It comes sourced really from Genesis chapter 3, which the author, a lot of scholars think, probably had that story in mind as he was writing this. If you go back to Genesis 3, you see that the temptation from the serpent to eat the fruit was this, you will be like God, knowing good and evil from the knowledge of the, you know, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was a temptation to take that, that knowledge for themselves that clearly belonged to God. Say, no, I want to, I'm going to try to be a steward of that myself. I'm going to try to, to have that and master that beneath my own authority myself. As Christians, we identify that feeling as a birthplace of sin, as a birthplace of what separated us from God. A life under the sun, independent from God, is faced with all these things the teacher has mentioned, as he keeps trying to show us. He says, if, if you're living your life only under the sun, and what you see is what you get, and you're looking for meaning in all these things, right, the, the lack of remembrance, or your own remembrance in your own story, or, you know, the repetitiveness of everything, or he's trying to gain wisdom, like, you're going to find that it's not going to get you anything. The, everything will appear as meaningless. On the back end of our sermon now, I want to kind of break down those three things. The repetition, lack of remembrance, and accumulation of wisdom. And ask the question, how do we ultimately account for meaning in those? Is there meaning in them? So this is a call to develop a worldview. Maybe you're familiar with that, that, that phrase, worldview. It's how you view the world, right? Zoom out, big picture. How do you think about your own life? Well, what is the view you have of this world and your own story within it? So the teacher is kind of pulling us along here, and there's a wisdom to say, you got to think about these questions. You need to think about your worldview. How will you answer these questions? He wants us to think about it. How will you answer the question, not being remembered when you die, and etc.? How will you deal with that? The first stop here to understand, I want to stop and just understand the worldview of our society today. Maybe you've heard the the phrase postmodern, okay? Um, we do, I guess, live in a postmodern world. All that means is just after modernity. 
And so within the older time of modernity, <clears throat> that was a time when larger stories, tradition, and reason were all understood as available to find meaning and purpose and truth. In other words, modernity, you know, made the claim that there is available some larger story that we're all wrapped up in, and this provided room for belief in God. But now we're post, we're after that, postmodernism has abandoned those things, including reason as means to finding meaning and truth, and denies that we can come to any meaningful conclusion and understanding of life through reason. There's no grand story around this. There's nothing, right? So this is how it's phrased. Thomas Nagel, a former law professor at New York uh, University, he wrote this in 1987. It's really fascinating. Here's what he says in his little book, Introduction to Philosophy. Listen to this. Even if, it might be behind me on on the screen here, even if life as a whole is meaningless, perhaps that's nothing to worry about. Once you pay attention to the gymnastics he kind of tries to do here with the existential dread, right? Perhaps we can recognize it and just go on as before. The trick is to keep your eyes on what is in front of you and allow justifications to come to an end inside your life and inside the lives of others to whom you are connected. If you ever ask yourself the question, but what's the point of being alive at all? Leading the particular life of a student or a bartender or whatever you happen to be, you'll answer, there is no point. It wouldn't matter if I didn't exist at all or if I didn't care about anything, but I do, and that's all there is to it. So actually, he's suggesting, and many others the same, that we choose a path of ignorance in our day. Yeah, we know that there's no, we can't find meaning, so just embrace it. Embrace the meaninglessness, right? Let's just cheerfully walk down this this path and just actually kind of ignore it and just put it to the side if it really doesn't matter. Let's just try to suppress those feelings within us and just move on. Let's get past that. Well, we can't. There's never going to be a time when somebody isn't writing a book addressing our own concern of our meaninglessness because we can't get past it. As long as we're separated from God, there's that void inside of us that nothing in this human life can actually find as an adequate substitute to be filled. Thus, the, the feeling of what is, why am I here? It will always linger. And so there's three things. Let's, let's talk about this, right? How do we develop a grid, a biblical worldview that gives meaning to the repetition, those three things, repetition and and the the need to be remembered in the pursuit of wisdom? So briefly, repetition. This year for all of you, generally speaking, might look a lot like last year. This is what I mean. Tomorrow, you're probably going to have to wake up and brush your teeth and have a meal. You'll have some kind of work at some point tomorrow. And then you'll have another food meal, and then you'll probably brush your teeth again, and then you'll go to sleep, and then Tuesday, you're going to wake up and brush your teeth and have a meal. And a year ago, I bet you, you woke up and you brushed your teeth, and you understand? This is just, it's just repetition, right? Do you have a grid to find meaning in that, in the mundane? Do you? You ever thought about it? You just kind of blow off the mundane as like, I just got to get past the mundane, like, or do you have actually a grid of meaning? I won't spend a lot of time on that question because he addresses this later in the book very acutely. So we'll just kind of put that off for a couple of weeks. But there, there is the ability to find beautiful, just, just absolute beauty in the mundane. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Number two is remembrance. 
The next piece to wrestle with is the remembrance piece. No matter how much you work or achieve or make money and do, 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 chances are that in the end, your story will be quickly forgotten. Few of us will be written in history books to be studied later in history, right? Are you okay with that? And I mean, seriously, like, are you okay with that? Because you can't escape that reality. And we'll give some scripture here to be how to be okay with that in a second. And the third is accumulation of wisdom, right? About him increasing in wisdom more than anybody else and applying himself to understand, an understanding of wisdom, you know, of madness and folly at all. And he just had grief, right? Um, if, you, if you look at this, there's a, there's a common thread, right? I have grown and increased in wisdom. I have experienced much of wisdom. Then I apply myself to understanding of wisdom, madness and folly. I learned this too. What's, what's the common thread that we see? I, 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 I. I did this, I increased, I experienced this. And here's the hint here. If we bring these things together, to find meaning in the repetition, those three things, if you look at ourselves as the one, if you look at our own selves as the one who can find meaning, I did this, I did this, I sought, I saw, I pursued, I chased, we'll waste away in life. There's a great illustration for this. There's an old Roman myth written by um, Ovid. This is about 2,000 years old in his classic book, Metamorphosis. Maybe you've heard of it. It's the classic story of Narcissus. It's the story of a young man. He was stunningly handsome, and he grew, uh, he, he gained the affection of all that he met. Yet he himself never returned that affection to anyone. He was a man greatly loved, yet he himself never loved anyone until that is, the day he discovered his own reflection in a pond of water. When he saw his own reflection, he fell in love with it. And he refused to move. And he began wasting away as he kept reaching out, trying to grasp his reflection and realizing it's elusive and he cannot actually grasp it. He tried to talk to his reflection, tried to caress it, but it was all out of his reach. And eventually he wasted away and he died and the love he had for his own reflection that was just always out of grasp. So what's the point of that story? Why do I tell that story today? Because the reason that story is meaningful is not really that he fell in love with his own reflection. There's, there's something else happening. It's deeper than that. He was in love with his own reflection, but it was always at arm's reach. In other words, he kept trying to grab the very thing he wanted, his own reflection, but he couldn't. It was like a search, an effort that was never able to be satisfied, and he just wasted away in his efforts. I want you to think of it this way. In the first chapter of Ecclesiastes here, the teacher in his search for meaning in his life is giving us all these observations about the world, his own life, his own search for wisdom, and it continually ends up empty-handed. If we see ourselves and our own understanding of the world, if that's the starting point for meaning, if that's the center of, you know, finding meaning, we're going to be crushed beneath existential dread because we will never grasp what we're looking for. We'll be like narcissists sitting there trying to grasp the thing that we want, our own reflection, but we even can't do that. However, the New Testament provides um, uh, something here for us. That something is a teaching of Jesus as the word. The one whom John the Apostle himself claimed in John chapter 1 behind me here. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were created through him. Without him, nothing was made which is made. In him was life. And the life was a light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness 
has not overcome it. Part of the idea of Jesus being the word is this. It is in him that everything makes sense. It is in him that everything makes sense. How did God create the world? He spoke it into existence and out came an orderly, beautiful creation. And Jesus himself is the only one in which all of that creation makes sense. In our world of confusion, in the word Jesus is the beginning point where we begin to find meaning. Because questions like, were you there at the beginning? Were you there? Do you really think that you and your finite you know, mind here can just gain a mastery of understanding of all of these things around us in this world? If we can, there wouldn't be songs written by Queen or U2 or endless movies and novels written about search for meaning because somebody would have found it, right? Somebody would have figured it out and those books would cease to be written. But scriptures testify that there is a word that makes sense of everything and is, it's a person and his name is Jesus Christ. And as we know Christ, we'll realize that it doesn't matter if we're remembered in this earthly story or not. For it is not this earth under the sun that we ultimately are living for. The aim of life isn't to make it into the history books if we think that we're to finally truly live here in this world. Because in Christ, we are known by God. I want you to really listen. In Christ, we are known by God. The God of the universe knows you. Actually has his mind set on you. Actually has his attention set on you in your own story. You are known by God. Listen to these beautiful verses in Isaiah 49. But Zion said, Yahweh has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child? This is the Lord speaking. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget you. I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. I will not forget you. He's engraved our name on his hands. When we think of those nail-pierced hands of Christ, we see the love of God who is willing to have those very hands pierced to reconcile his children back to himself. And to hear those resounding and echoing words of Jesus as he departed from this earth, because I am ri- have risen from the dead, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That is the remembrance that fills the void. That's the remembrance that our heart is longing for, to be known by God in Christ. And finally, the scriptures testify that Jesus himself is our wisdom. And that if we continue the project of Adam and Eve, searching for wisdom, apart from God, like this teacher, we'll only we'll find, uh, we'll become arrogant, we'll become puffed up and empty. Paul had this to say in 1 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 27 here. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in this world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boasts in the Lord 
He's calling us, right, to actually reject the path of Ecclesiastes 1 in the search for wisdom. Because it'll just exhaust you. If you try to understand everything on your own, you'll find that dread. You'll be exhausted. You'll be weary. And, and, and God actually here through Paul is saying, I, I prefer those here on this earth that says, I, I, I reject this, word, this worldly wisdom search because I have Jesus. And through him, I can then see through the Jesus lenses all of life through his wisdom and gain the wisdom that I need, right? The world may see, well, that's weak, but Paul says, no, that's strength. Jesus is our wisdom. So um, this is communion morning. This is the back end of our sermon now. And um, a couple of questions I want to ask as we look at our, um, our time here, taking the elements this morning. Some of you might be dreading 2023. Not dreading what's happening tomorrow, necessarily, but facing just that general dread of just another year without purpose or maybe without meaning for me. The amount of anxiety and depression in our world, is, in our country, is the highest in our nation's history. So I'm just assuming some of you here can raise your hand if I ask and say, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling with anxiety, I'm struggling with depression, I'm struggling with these questions that are surfaced in this text. Some of you feel like you're stuck at that verse two, right? That you're saying right now, everything does feel meaningless. Everything feels like I'm chasing after the wind. And maybe you've been afraid to say it out loud. Like maybe you've been afraid to actually face that in you, even though it's kind of lingering. A terrible part of, you know, if you're a Christian this morning, a terrible part of that, of Christian culture is just, you know, uh, it's almost not okay to be honest about those questions. Because how could you? Don't you have faith in Jesus? Why would you struggle with your meaning, right? As if it's some kind of taboo thing. Get rid of that, okay? Because there is available meaning in Christ, yes, but if you're feeling that, don't, you know, find some fancy gymnastics to kind of, you know, go around that and say, ah, it's just, I'm just going to ignore that and just smile and learn, you know, to keep going. Face it this morning. Look at that and say, well, why is that? How, how, do, I, how do I find Jesus? How do, how do I find meaning when those things are lingering? How do I do that? The first step is to face it. And soon we're going to have prayer time where I'm going to invite you to come forward if that's you so we can pray for you as you're facing that. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house you build for me? Who of you will hear the cry of my heart? Where will my resting Oh, no.
Please come forward. Amen.